Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Fab Four Free For All. Boo. And welcome to another edition of the edition? Fab Four Free For All. ID? Edition. Edition. You said edition. So what are you, Vaughn? You got a problem with the way I talk? Then go show. away to me on another <laughs> show. <laughs> Two of us uh, riding the <laughs> I thought it was you two. Anyway. It was me too. You right. already did that. Sebel. Anyway. <laughs> I thought it was you seven. We are um, <laughs> going to be talking about side one of the Sgt. Pepper album. Five, sir. Five, sir. Basically venturing into an area that surprisingly Fab Four Free For All have not gone before. We Star Trek came to the scary realization that we need to do a Star Trek show. No, that we had yes. never done a Sgt. Pepper show. No. Amazingly. So this yeah, so now we begin part two. You know, it's not just a review and analysis, really, because we did cover a lot. I mean, we always covered the backstory, but the whole first episode was backstory. So now, because it deserved it, It yeah. I I know you may right now. All of you might be saying, "Well, thank goodness you get into the songs." But Pepper is the one album that really, really deserves a full show as backstory because of the timing between everything else. And because of the circumstances, so well, they, it needed it. And they also took a break, and it was the right. first time they took a real break. Right, because I mean, there was there a were slight a break of... before Revolver, but that was because but not of like, other things. Yeah, it wasn't like the real break, right. like we talked about, of touring, no more touring, right. and all that other stuff. So it definitely deserved a full show on Backstory. Definitely. I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree with that. X gets the square. I'm going to sort of just put this into perspective. We all... Love different genres of music. We all enjoy classical music. We all enjoy jazz. But I'm just going to let you all know right now that as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to stay away from the Wagnerian overtones and Aeolian cadenzas and because truthfully, it's not really my bailiwick. No. So I'm not going to try to pretend... Uh, we've never really done that. We haven't, but this album, a lot of the almost a lot deserves of the, it. It almost deserves it, but in a way, where I'm but going not is from us. right. There is so much written. We're, we're not musicologists. We're well, not, but from someone like Alan Cozen, right? Ken, Dr. Ken right. Womack, exactly. So, in other words, what I'm trying to say is that all good of people. all Beatle records until this point, okay, it was yeah, 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 yeah. This is the album that musicologists have thankfully, kind of had a field day with in their writing. There have been a lot of critiques that, that do take Sgt. Pepper from that perspective. And as Mitch is saying, someone like Alan Cozen or, or Dr. Womack or Ian McDonald or, you know, these guys have, have done really brilliant Evaluations of this album from that angle. That's true. we're we're not or, people to or, we don't do that. You, so you we're not gonna you know. What you just said is is weird because after Pepper, there's not another album that they do that to as well. I would say maybe there are aspects of of Abbey Road that you mm, could aspects, take apart, but there's aspects of side two well, of Abbey Road. Side well, one aspects is a, of, of right. with the Beatles with the whole well, and not a second time. Right. There are aspects cadence. of Revolver no, but, you could obviously but, do but it too. What I'm but, saying is, as a whole, preparation H. No, um, as a whole, the album does warrant that type of musicologist analysis, whereas every other album might have parts of it to do but no album after this is a complete album like Pepper that 
the musicologists have gone after. Well, I, and then part of that's just the way that literally every, not every song, but almost every song has some sort of orchestration. And or, different, or, right. Or different right. ways of part producing it. it. Right. And right. that's George Martin. You know, this is the album George Martin was waiting to do. Right. If you think about yeah. Yeah. how the Beatles work with George Martin, this was his peak as well. And this was their ultimate marriage as George Martin becoming a performer. On the album, he's on probably on more tracks on this album right. than a lot of the others. And probably more than George Harrison. <laughs> probably more than George Harrison. <laughs> probably, and yeah. the Beatles starting to become the producers. Yeah. So uh, this, or at least, at least in the, the ear of yeah. more. Yeah. So here it is, in a way, another bridge that's been built, where now it, it's the, the lines are being grayed. You know, McCartney conducting the orchestra during the, you know the build up for Day in the Life. Interesting, you know. Yeah, why um, wasn't George Martin behind that? Orchestra? Well, I think there were. I think George I think Martin they, probably really. No, I, I, I think know. There was, they were alternating or yeah. something. Just a quick thought: it took thirty times longer studio time to make this album than "Please Please Me." Well, well, interesting. <laughs> no, just please please me that out. Took how many? Twenty yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it took a little longer. <laughs> we are going to actually now go track by track, uh, track by track review and analysis of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, courtesy of Merck Bleckett. <laughs> Here we go again. And we start with the title song on the album. Not written until about halfway through the recording sessions. Yep. They knew that they were taking on another ID but didn't know what that idea was going to be. And Paul came up with Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. One of the things that I find interesting about this track when I listen to it, I listen to both the mono and the stereo. And in many ways, I I like the mono better. I came to the mono version when I was five. It was 1970. It was among the first five albums I ever owned. I had both. And I had the mono first. I had the stereo first, and... I don't know if it's because I'm used to it now, or I noticed the, the mistakes is the wrong term, but some of the harshness of some of the mixes on the mono. When did the, you have this? What? How old were you? 14. Okay, see, at the age of five, when I heard this, and I had both, because honestly, I had worn it out, even though I didn't get it, so to speak. I still listened to it a lot, so... I happened to get a mono copy also. It wasn't like I purposely, I had no clue what mono or stereo meant, to be honest. The only thing I did notice was, as we'll get to later, the speed of She's Leaving Home, which I thought was a mistake as a kid. I had no clue what they were doing. Now, in hindsight, we know what they were doing. But to me, the mono, as a kid listening to this album, I didn't notice any of the little nuances that I should have, not should have, but I know this now, or if they put out a deluxe version and you'll know right away, you know, if they do stereo mono, you hear it. But back then, I didn't care. It was just the Beatles. All of that, and that applies to all the other albums too, because I happened to get either mono or stereo. I had no clue or care about mono or stereo. All I knew is I put it on my little, like, luggage type record player at the time which, right which what kids had right and boom and it was the beatles in mono stereo no matter to me so well where i'm going is that you notice a difference in you know even though the mono mix quote unquote was the one that was really paid attention to the stereo was always an afterthought i get it and that's always said about the mixes but interestingly enough somebody was thinking at least because on the intro song Sgt. pepper you, you have to notice that 
Paul the narrator is in the right I channel. I you said we weren't going to get into all the aioli and calences. And no, no, but this, this is, is nothing of that. This yeah. is mixed. This right. is not aioli. I've never heard this. Continue, Tony. No, well, Paul, the, let me introduce to you the, right. the, the Sergeant Pepper's Only Hearts Club band. We're Sergeant Pepper. They're in the left channel. Okay, I never thought of that. So it's it's the announcer on the one side. Well, the master of ceremonies. The master of ceremonies is on one side. To a live track. To so a to live speak. track, yeah. And Even also, not. interestingly enough, the rock instruments, the, the screaming guitar part, right. is in the right channel with the narrator. And the other side is, is the brass and Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. So okay. I, I think we're maybe making that, too much I, of that. No, I, no I think I, I it's like, absolutely a complete conscious decision. Why are they not in the middle or, or mixed a little bit tighter? Why is it not the vocals all spread out in two different spots? You know, it's so you're saying basically very consciously okay done. Merck Blecht is in the right, in the left, and, left and and Paul and the, the announcer of the show. No, but, but so is the screaming guitar. But that's what I mean. But I'm just saying the, the rock and roll instrumentation and Paul being the narrator bringing in Sergeant Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. They're on the left. Okay. And I really had only noticed that in about the last year or so that oh. that's a, and it has to be conscious. I'll have to go back and listen, is, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, that that would anyway. be something to listen to. And yeah, yeah something to listen to, but I'm not sure I agree right now. All right, but anyway, but, but it's a good so point. Thoughts on that track? What's going on? What's happening? It's, what do we like? What do we not? Like I said, it, it's supposed to be the start of something. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it's the start of yet. I knew it sounded cool to me. Whatever they it were. It sounded do. cool because we've never had a Beatle album that started with tuning up. Yeah, an and and mulling of you know an audience, right. you didn't know what they were doing there. So it was kind of weird when you're hearing that for the first time. You're thinking, okay, you know, it takes I think 13 seconds before 10 seconds, 10 seconds, whatever, before they start the pounding of the drums. Oh, by the way, just as a reminder, a thought before I forget it, you mentioned that there's a certain radio station in the town we live in, or the area we live in that cuts out that 10 seconds and starts off with the guitar because, God forbid, you heard 10 seconds of a tune-up on a certain classic rock station. Which is ridiculous. Well, it's, it's dead air, really. Not, not, it's you know. not. It's classic song. It's a classic song. I hate to say And now it is a classic song. Yeah. You don't do that. Yeah. I'm sorry. But, you know, if, you wanna, if you want to take out the first 30 seconds of love when, you know, with well, John they, Lennon, they, they that's did that, dead air. They did that last week. Yeah. So. Well, they, oh, look at you. Did they really? Yeah, they did. I didn't even know that. I didn't mean that. But wow. but you know what? It's it's kind of cool to hear a Beatle album that's not just starting off with... But wait, you know what? I just realized. Hang on. What's the first song on Revolver? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. I didn't even realize that. The Tax first song... Yeah, and they're going, one, two, three... And that's almost... Tuning like, up. Tuning up, and yeah. it's like a build-up. Oh, and, and same thing with Pepper. So, you know what? Maybe it wasn't as innovative as I thought. They just did it on the last album. But, it, but it's... How a, bizarre. But I didn't think about but that. That's a, that's a count-in, and uh, well, it's, it's different than hearing an orchestra sounding like that. What it sounds like you're is... Right, but you're it's sitting not down, too different. You're at a nice place Right, you expect to, see to hear orchestra. the little, like, guy yeah. going... hitting the symbol Quiet and then doom, doom. Yeah, so. Yeah, maybe. But it's something to think about with that tax man thing. I mean, maybe they just thought. That is kind of funny. Kind of cool. I mean, maybe it's a total coincidence. Yeah, it it probably is. But it's also when you record the songs. I mean, tax man, if you think about it, could have ended up anywhere in in the track listing of of Revolver. And the fact that it ended up as the opening track, they left that cool count in. in. They might not have left that in if it was in the middle of the album. But Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band was going to be the album. Oh, no, no, no. It has to be. 
Right. It's introducing you to the new yeah. band. Yeah. That's the point of the song. Yeah. To introduce you to the full new band that you're seeing on the cover. Right. And also to this guy named Billy Shears. Right, who's only, the only person named in the right. of the band. Right, we don't yeah. know anybody we, we else know, in the, in the we band. We know Sgt. Pepper's band, but we know that there is an actual name of a person, and his name is Billy Shear. If you strip away the idea that as we would see concept albums later, oh, I, like I Tommy. this discussion. Is Sgt. Pepper, other than the two songs, the opener and the reprise, is Sgt. Pepper really in any way, shape, or form a concept album? Yes, because we've been ingrained in the brain to think it is. No, no but that's no, what no, I mean. No, no. no. I, I'm being facetious. Okay. Just because they said it is doesn't mean it there, is. There are several things about this album that make it a concept album, not a traditional concept album where there's a story involving the song. Right, like saying. Tommy, right. you know. Like right. Tommy. This right. is... In the Wee Small Hours is a concept album and right. there's no story right. to it. Right. This is hmm. uh, the way the, the orchestra sounds, this way the band sounds, this way it was recorded. This is the fact that the in-between grooves are less than a second or a second instead of maybe three seconds. Well, it's, I don't think Does some of them the, have you it get, at all. You get an overlapping from Pepper into With a Little Help from My Friends. Which right into you, Lucy, right. And, and right into right. Lucy, it's one really long song. If you think about does it, the Im, does the impersonal? That's where the concept comes in. I okay. Does the impersonalness of the songs, which we talked about in the last episode, the fact that these songs are are in a lot of ways less personal. Yes, we talked about fixing a hole, getting aspects of getting better. Right. Sure, and for George, within you, without you. But in a lot of ways, the songs are impersonal. Does that help to make it a concept album? Because you can look at these songs and think, yeah, they could have been written by anybody. Because Paul McCartney's not saying, I feel this way. John's not saying, I feel this way. We're not singing love songs. So you know what? It, it changes the way you look at the Beatles. Maybe, you know, if this was, let's say, the last Beatles album, you would think, well, you know, they, they gave up on singing love songs. Interesting. So it, I think... It, I forgot who said it, but it, a story changes on where you decide to end it. If you end it at a happy moment, but a movie has a, can, would have continued and there's a sad moment at the end where they chose to end it, where do you choose the ending? This is obviously not the ending, but to me, the, the concept is everything and, but the fact that it's a concept. And in some ways, I do have to say, in many ways, and we've talked about this in a lot of shows, it is an ending. Yeah, it is, in certain ways, yeah. You know, Brian Epstein dies. A couple of months later. And in a way, it, it yeah. is the ending, it, it, in, in some ways. In, in it's many the, ways, it's, it's the beginning of the end for them, right. for, for me. Or, or it's the end of the Beatles and the beginning of Sgt. Pepper. Ooh, yeah, but the, wow, they didn't keep... They didn't, interesting. They, they didn't keep it up. They, they didn't did keep a little bit for Magical Mystery Tour. And actually, the Mag- Magical Mystery Tour album is, it works very well as an album. Even but look at the Magical Mystery Tour album. They're all wearing costumes again. Right, again. And they made it you know, based on a bad movie, or maybe a, an interesting movie, depending on what you're smoking. Bad now, t- but here we go. And let's really overanalyze this a bit. Yeah, Yellow Submarine, they're in cartoon form. No, but- Abbey Road, are they wearing costumes? No, but Abbey Road was the return. Abbey Road was Let's Get Back Together and Do the Last Album. Yeah. But every album from Pep, the white album is a completely white cover. They're not even pictured there at all. Well, that's because everyone so, ripped off Pepper. And they so, but it, isn't white. it funny, though? Every album up to Pepper is the Beatles just as the Beatles. After that, it's the Beatles dressed as Sgt. Pepper. 
The Beatles dressed in the Magical Mystery Tour outfits right. as the characters. The White Album. Yeah. Yellow Submarine with oh, their cartoon. Really, yeah, you can't really. And then, all right, and Let It Be was a tombstone after the fact. And Abbey Road, where, where there was the return. But isn't that funny how you're Good right? Point. They kind of kept the front going. Yeah, for even a while. if by mistake. Even if by I mistake. I don't think they did that on purpose. I don't know, but, but it's just something that happened. And sometimes something that happens is true to the form. It's not like you have to think about, well, we're going to do this, this, and this. It just sort of happens. Yes. And yeah. George always referring to the Beatles as a shirt he took on and right, off. Right, right. You know, a great way of time to it. not put the Beatles shirt on anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll wear these other shirts and we'll keep making records. But I'll, I'll go hang out with Bob shoes. Dylan. And shoes. Yeah. I'll go hang out with Bob Dylan and so, the band. But do we think that this song is wow, what a great song? Or it's a groove, it's a funky record that is nothing really but a. It's, but an introductory link. You, you know why this song works? I think works? it's both. Because okay. it's, it's a two-minute song. Right, okay. If it was four minutes, you know how Paul sometimes forgets how to end a song? Yes. Well, he's learned better right. over the years. But well, he's been forced to, because the line, here's Billy Shears, and then you got to go into the this, next song. Right. This is the Venus and Mars. Oh, yeah. Into rock show. Yeah. And nice. both are short. And Venus both and have Mars a reprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Reprise. Nice. Yeah. That's a good point. Paul, Paul definitely did that. And yeah. it takes us into the very, in my opinion, wonderful, with a little help from my friends. Yeah. And sonically, if you listen to this song in, in your car or headphones, sonically, this song is so, I want to say, pristinely produced, if that makes sense. No Hard Day's Night pun here at all. It's very clean. It's a clean production. The bass stands out the drumming is there the harmonies are beautiful nothing is psychedelic or muddy not at all nothing no. i mean no. it's it's very that's a really clean. good point and also well what, look at who sergeant pepper were look at who they were they were a brass band they were but, an old-timey band really but so this is a and great, he gets by with his little love from his yeah, it's a great lennon mccartney song too great because they they great this is the backing vocals where where John really does very good backing vocals. We don't talk about that enough. Well, uh, this is really like a John and Paul album. Well, uh, of their own volition. Is, I mean, I, I mean, well, it's say. a John and Paul album with with Ringo having one of the incredible highlights of his career as a vocalist and as a I, I, I fully as agree. an interpreter of the, John and Paul's music. If it wasn't for this song, would there be an All Star band? Probably not. Probably not. This is we've we've because that's the whole premise. He gets by with a little help from his friends, and you know, for those who don't know, they had to actually be like a cheering section behind Ringo to get him that last note to get him to hit that last note. And when he does it, he he does it with a plum and with beauty. It's just a. It's a for wonderful the, last note. For of those the song. who say Ringo can't sing, and he sings differently, I think that's the best yeah, way to describe it. Yeah. But if you listen to this song, it's a great singing song for Ringo. It is a great oh, yeah. range, Absolutely. vocal range for him, yeah. and he does it really well. Oddly enough, I didn't realize this that the intro where they introduce him and, he, mm -hmm. and the crowd cheers is from the Hollywood Bowl cheers. Yeah, they took the, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, yeah legitimate Beatle cheer. Isn't so, that kind of cool? That is kind of cool that yeah. they put it in there. Yeah. Because they could have gone to, they went to the you know the archive for every other sound. Right. They could have easily just done that. But well, they, uh, also they the thing about this song to me is is that I can't see Joe, uh, John, or Paul singing it as a solo artist. But it's such a perfect Beatles song. Yes. It, uh, to me, that says a lot about you know they purposely wrote this for Ringo and and Ringo. It's just a great sounding song and. 
And, and isn't it, it also an amazing idea, too, that, you know, not only are we going to be this alter ego image, but in the alter ego image that we're putting forth, look who the lead singer is. Right. <laughs> Ringo, you know, woo, you know, here's Billy George. George. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. Well, 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 that, that George is going, wait, wait. Hello. Well, I've, I've got a song. And also, are you fucking kidding me or what? I've got a song about an octopus. <laughs> the edit, though, between, well, not edit, the overflow from... Sergeant Pepper into the segue. The segue. Uh, <laughs> Mr. You. 35 years on the radio. I can't think of segue. We've all heard the outtakes from that song from Pepper, and it sort of like has this riff that continues at the end. And you can see where they wanted to get rid of that part of the song because it doesn't really help the song. Right. And then you go into with a little help from my friends, and it really connects as. Oh, songs. absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, it's a lead out from the opener. Right. We've established uh, who Billy Shears and the band are. Um, but, it, but it's weird because are you going to establish the rest of the band? As for, You don't you know don't. yet. Yeah, no, you, well, you don't we, don't, we know end, now you don't. Yeah. But we yeah. didn't then. I mean, if, if yeah. you're listening. Well, that's why but, I think it falls down really as a total concept album. I think the only thing well, that I agree with that. Think, I, th- I want you guys to think about this. Traveling Wilburys Volume 1. Yeah. Come and listen to the, the other members of my gang. Right. Right. Each one of the members of the Traveling Wilburys gets a lead vocal. Yes. Side one. So you yeah. know what's coming. You know. Yeah. So each one of them gets a side one. They did not do this on this album for with good reason. You know. Boy, they could have given George only a northern song on side one if they wanted to. And uh, you know, I don't know. Have left <laughs> off. I don't but know. how do you introduce it? You know, it's, I think. Uh, I suppose. Yeah, I, suppose. I, I think it. It works better when we just introduce Ringo. All right. Well, we come out of with a little help from my friends, and we are into Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Well, first of all, with a little help from my friends, I'm sorry to go back, but holy shit, Paul's bass playing. This album, it's like Paul McCartney, Opportunity Knocks. It's like this album makes Paul McCartney into a friggin' superstar. Well, it started with Revolver. As a, it starts with Revolver. You're right. I got you're absolutely a thousand Mine. percent right. But this album, holy Jesus, he takes to like I, absolute new heights. Well, I think you only notice it because the difference in recording technique. Yeah. Probably so it's, true. it's up more Probably in the true. mix. It's, but it's cool because this is coming about at a time when now you've got Jack Cassidy, you've got but, Jack Bruce, you've got monster bass players and now it's just basically McCartney just going oh really but, I can be a monster bass player too but the, wow. the, but the monster bass players of the time were doing more of the not like Paul Paul was giving melodies I don't think they were they were doing more of the of the they were, thumping but, in the, well it Jack Bruce had some really melodic playing yeah but uh, you know you listen to Crown of Creation Jack Cassidy had some really good melodic but playing different than very different John Entwistle was, was Lee's bass player yeah, yeah but that was, it was but you're absolutely right it was to me I love all three of those other players love them love them love them love them but to me McCartney Towers well, let me well, ask you a question. Forget about Pepper now. Uh, and just in, in regards to McCartney bass, and we're going a little off topic, but I can't help it. Uh, is there anybody out there that you can think of that matches Paul's bass line in something? No. Well, I, I, in something? Yeah. yeah. 
I said forget I, about Pepper. I love it. I think it's it's probably one of his greatest. Absolutely. It's one of his top three or four. But there's I mean, others I, I love as melodically, much. Though, no, melodically, though. Melodically, it's brilliant. I, no, I agree with you. I've, it's I've brilliant. said before about- It took bass playing to a different level because it actually put it more in the mix of the melody yeah. than just being that thumping bass or even yeah. melodic bass. Yeah. This is part of- This made the song. But I also yeah. thought that- in, in the competition that Paul sometimes gets into, that he wished he had written something, and this was his way of saying, "Well, here I'm going to make this song even sound better." Right. So, Whatever. But, right. but you're right. This, but this album. I think there's two things about McCartney's bass playing. First of all, he's overdubbing a lot of it. He's not. Yes, with the that's band. true. He's right. not yeah, with the band yeah. live. So, right. so he's getting a cleaner sound. Second of all, I'm not sure of this, but didn't he switch to a Rickenbacker? By the, oh yeah, I think you're right. So Actually. I think the Hoffner Hoffner's been retired. A, yeah, yeah. So I think the Rickenbacker sounding a little deeper in the recording, and I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of bass playing, we go from with a little help from my friends, killer bass lines and bass work to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, where the, he's basically writing a second song underneath what's going on there and doing a counter melody and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, I mean, and Paul. Lucy in the Sky, yeah. A John composition based on a cartoon. A drawing. Um, a drawing done by his five-year-old son, Julian, who said a picture. Four-year-old. Four-year-old. He's four at the time? 62. Yeah, 63. 62. So, 63. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Julian. As he's a he's listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A cartoon or a drawing done by Julian of his friend Lucy in the sky with a tab of LSD. Um, and that, Sorry. I don't think Julian was LSD. I think his dad might have been. Yeah, no, not Julian. Lucy. Lucy oh, was, Lucy was taking LSD. LSD. Yes. And let's look at the song. Lyrically, what do you do with it? Is it really poetry? Is it really poetic? Is yes. It really? Yes, it is. Okay. As long as it makes you think it's poetic. Exactly. No, but it's also something if you were to put exactly. on a piece of paper... It's poetry. Yeah, absolutely. Right. If you're yeah. just reading it like Chatner did, yeah. I mean, no, really. I mean, all no, kidding aside, yeah, if just... you're it, that, actually makes it more poetic when you hear Chatner's version. Yeah. Because he's not doing it straight. It's a picture yourself in a, in a boat, river. In a river. Right. But you know what? If you do that and you and like you, Mr. Said, Tambourine like, uh, Man. <laughs> oh, yeah, shut yeah. up. Yeah. But if you do what Rob said and you actually write the lyrics down or you look at the lyrics, it is poetry. Yes. Because poetry doesn't have to be right uh, it could be nonsensical i mean damn straight and that is this, this is a thing that if he'd put it into one of his two books is, I, been, you, it's so funny you just went there i was just thinking that i think it's been very well received there was more cohesive yeah, in a way than anything yeah. in his other two Cause, books because the other two books were they're interesting but he's not writing them as songs and this is he's taken that attitude of poetry which john had yes. and he put it into a song but so, if you really yeah. listen to what John was doing, I know I say think about it a lot, but you've been saying it too, a lot these do too. But anyway, I have. think about this. The last three things you've heard from John Lennon as a Beatle are Tomorrow Never Knows, Strawberry Fields Forever, and now Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. What are you thinking John's doing? That's really interesting. I mean, you've heard Penny Lane, which is Penny Lane. But Strawberry Fields to me is is not, the lyric is not acid-drenched or tricky No, but 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 the tone of the song is... The tone may be of the finished work, but lyrically? I mean, people could say, you know, I think I know a Mia, yes, uh, you know. I mean, there's different, it's not a straightforward like Penny Lane, there was a barber, you know, it's more of... 
it's a little bit licensed. I, I know what yeah. you're saying. Um, yeah, it's, it drifts from the norm. Correct. You so now you've got Tomorrow Never Knows, that, and now Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And if you're a John fan, you may be going, wow, that's so cool. This is great. But if you're a Beatle fan who's used to Anya Bird can sing or, you know, girl or whatever, True. Uh, you're, you're thinking... I don't know if I'm loving this yet. I mean, in the context it, it of is, Pepper, it is different. It's, yeah. yeah, it is different. Yeah. But in the context of Pepper, I don't even know what's the next John song on this. Uh, the next John benefit song of Mr. Kite. Oh, there you go again. Yeah. I mean, but benefit wow. of Mr. Kite. It, even when did I was help a kid, both on getting better and fixing. Up. Yes, right. but okay. until you get to Good Morning, Good Morning, which is pretty much straightforward rock and roll. So is so is being for a benefit of Mr. Kite. Okay. When I was five, I, benefit of Mr. Kite was no more silly or less silly than I'm Henry VIII I am. I mean, it was just... It, no, really? but you know what I mean? When I was a little kid, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite is about a dancing horse and man and this, and it's a circus. Yeah, I guess. Like, you know, to me, as a little, as a five-year-old, benefit of Mr. Kite doesn't make you go, wow, far out, he was no, tripping. No, but, it, but it's still... You know, losing the Sky the, with Diamonds is pretty words. But the tone of being for the benefit of Mr. Kite is also kind of like... You know, if you listen to that in the dark, it's kind of weird if you're a kid. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, the tone, yeah. it, it's a circus, yes, but, but it's see, not a circus I've ever been to. I got to tell you, when I was little, I always thought that the ending sounded like- The calliope, whatever. The calliope, all that noise. I always thought about growing up, I mean, it, you know, I moved to Long Island a few years after hearing this album for the first time. <laughs> And I'd go to Hempstead Harbor. You know, here we have a town park where they have the big fairs. And yeah. if you're standing in the middle of a fair, it sounds exactly like the end of Being for the Benefit oh, of yeah. Mr. Kite. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But if you're if listening you're seeing, in context to the album, yeah, it's but, different. But as a little kid, I remember being- well, we went too far. I remember not knowing what the hell was going on. Oh, yeah, that's true. I remember not knowing what the hell was going on with, within you without you, but Benefit of Mr. Kite made sense. But anyway, well, but, but, yeah. but one, one more thing about Lucy and the Sky with Diamond. Oh, yeah, we're still yeah, we there. Should, we're in still the beginning there. of the song, he talks about how she, she disappears. She's gone. But the last line of the song, she's back. You know, suddenly someone is there, the turnstile, the girl with kaleidoscope eyes. She's back. Right, right. You know, it's kind of a you know, wish song almost that she's come back in, yeah. in many ways. So yeah. is that a love song and in, in, in maybe it's, a love song? It's a That's different, really it's, interesting. It's, it may be a different love song. It's a different yeah. love song. Or is it childlike? That too. I mean, is it childlike? Maybe he is just continued the from, whole thing because of the drawing. It was Julian's drawing. Maybe it figured. really is. Right. Maybe it really is a four-year-old saying, you know, oh, look, she's oh, back. Here she Ex- Bingo. Bingo. And for those of you at home who don't know, Mitch just kind of did the peekaboo thing with peek-a-boo. his Peekaboo. She's back. But yeah. No, I'm being serious. I know you are, but that's that's why I told listeners what yeah, you just did, I, because it made I, sense I, I didn't in, realize how he's even... in context it's, of, it's of the idea. It's a very visual song, too. Very visual, visual song. Well, if you go see the love show... Well, look at what just happened, too. Wow. How did Mitch describe what he was thinking Visually, he was doing? Yeah. Visually. <laughs> but which, the love you know, show also depicts it pretty wild. I mean, you know, we sit here and we, we analyze these things to death, but... You know, I John like, might have been here and said, you know, it's just a fucking little, you know, I, I, I wrote I about Julie. Yeah. I mean, yes, absolutely. We, that's our job to do I, it. I, I do like the love version, how it's sort of the beginning Echo-y. part begins very slowly and echoes in and, and it's out. And it's a repeat of the, yeah, of the repeat. dude. Yeah. 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 And also about like this song is also whether or not it is or isn't, I don't know. 
But you get this drawing from your four-year-old son who you're kind of estranged from. Not at that time. Uh, estranged is the wrong word. Well, you're, you're not maybe paying attention. From the yeah, you're shit. not the most present father in the world. No, but I Because you're I in think the Beatles that, and I you're... Think, but there are so many pictures of that era of 67 where he's with them a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, right. So okay, I, I maybe wanna, you're right. All right, so then let's take it to that I, side. I, well, maybe, maybe, I mean, he had to be with him because that's the picture he drew. Okay. And, and So let's say then, let's go that route and say ahead. John's hanging out with Julian. He gets this drawing from him. Why not write a song that you can actually sort of play for Julian and have Julian go, that's fun. Newspaper taxis appear on the shore me, waiting to did. take you away. That's what I mean. He wrote it. So I'm saying, but, but I'm Julian just saying. Julian now has a, a, a memoir. Of, well, not a memoir. Uh, Julian now has a, a song that he can say forever. Yeah. Dad wrote, wrote that. From yeah. me. Look, he never, my, John never said, I wrote that for Julian. He said, I no, wrote he it from, from a drawing a, that right. Julian but, did. But you know what? What's the but, difference between that and Kite with the poster and the drawing? Exactly. Nothing. Exactly. But I'm just thinking there's a, there's a childlike nature. Well, good night. There's a childlike simplicity. To, as, as psychedelic as Lucy in the Sky is... You it know, only, tangerine dreams and marmalade skies. You could you could tell a little child this story and not have them run for the hills. No, the you can't between, tell a little child turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. It is not. What's dying. the difference between you know, the tone of this song and "I'm Only Sleeping"? I'm only sleeping. Production-wise, could have been on Pepper. True, but I'm also going with the idea of could I'm only sleeping be a children's song. <laughs> it, it could. Please don't wake me. No, don't shake me. Leave me where I am. I'm only sleeping. Yeah. Paul, John Lennon wrote children's songs. Holy crap. Wow. This I love you. The Be- yeah, the, the Beatles are done for me, man. It's just all Barney. <laughs> oh, wow, God, man. Was... The Beatles are Barney. Well, John Lennon wrote John Good Night. Lennon he wrote Good Night. Barney music. <laughs> Damn it. I am the walrus. Yeah. Piggy in the middle. I am he as you were he and you were me and we are all together in the yellow submarine. Anyway. Um... Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was a weird thing. So, losing this guy with diamonds, and again, you know, covered by Elton John, of course, famously, uh, with John Lennon on backing vocals, many, not many years later, really, only eight Four, years eight later. Eight years later, my God. Wow. No, seven yes. years later. Seven years later. 74. 74. You're Came right. out of the episode. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Oh, wow. We go to the McCartney composition with John helping, which is getting better. What's cool about this song is the stark reality of it right after Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yes. Can I say one more thing about Lucy? And it's, sure. We were talking about mono stereo before. On this song in mono, I think the effects they put on John's vocals takes away from the song, where in the stereo version, I really appreciate that it doesn't have- Correct. That- Phasing. Phasing, which really gets in the way of the song. It takes it too much. I actually much. totally agree with that. It's, it's too much. It's, you know, for the whole song, it's it's not like, you know, like Tomorrow Never Knows where it's put through a speaker and different things, and it, but that was only for half a song. The phasing of, of Lucy in the Sky gets, after a while, it's like, this isn't that much fun to listen to. And it's a great song. And this is where, where my stereo, where I sometimes prefer the stereo. Though, when we get to She's Leaving Home, I'll explain why the mono but, sounds better. But you, you were definitely correct, yeah. But also, is, uh, if you if you really want to hear a great analysis of this song, watch that The Making of, of Sgt. Pepper 20 oh, yeah. by, by George Martin. Oh. I mean, when he just says, he takes his one finger and just goes on that note and says... 
picture yourself on a boat on a river. I mean, that's all it is. It's so simplistic. And to think what he, I have to give him props on it, because he and the Beatles expanded on it. But really, it's just like Tomorrow Never Knows, that one chord. Well, don't you you kind of hear it in the demo, too, uh, that's on the record, right? Oh, definitely. The picture. Yeah, you you hear it. John doesn't sing differently. He sings in that one one register. But also, Tomorrow Never Knows, one chord, same thing. John was very simplistic, and I give the props to- But in a way, was John now doing that, was John also really doing that on purpose? Maybe. I don't know. Not necessarily consciously, but was it for him- Really, a new style of writing he had discovered. I don't know about that because the, if you know. you, if you look what he did with Strawberry Fields, and he wanted George Martin to do things with the speeding up and the doing this and putting them together, so I'm not so sure if he if he you know because that song which was done prior, not long prior, but it was done prior, sort of blows that up because yeah, he true. really that's true. Yeah, he really kind of dances all over with yeah. that. That, so. that that special okay. is fantastic. Oh. Um, it is a good oh, one. Yeah. God, yeah. But Lucy, Lucy, the guitar work on it, it's just a really interesting yeah. track. All right, we've gone to Getting Better. It so, opens, like you say, hits you over the head with that stark... Guitar. Dan, 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 yeah. dan, 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 and now dan. you're not used to it because you're lulled into, you know, I get by with a little help from my friends and you're, yay, and you're almost sing song and then you get Lucy in the Sky with, you know, as much as you hear the boom, boom, yeah. boom, that's fine, but you're still, at by the end of Lucy, you're... You know, you're still into that. You're still floating. Well, interestingly, floating, right? and all of a sudden, this gets you back to reality with that. Brain, yeah, brain, and interestingly, brain. with Lucy too, I, I know we should throw in Paul's voice is very dominant in the chorus. Well, of Lucy well, because also. it was I, like I said, it's a John and Paul album. Yes, I didn't mean it. very much so. No, but I'm just going back to that well, to what you said. Well, that's where Paul knew his voice would fit perfectly, and, and John accepted it. You know, yeah, you know, so yeah. Well, because John, yeah, I mean, you but know, that baseline matches. What Paul was doing with the vocal in, in many ways, because it's it comes during the chorus, right? That bass line where it goes do 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 Oh God! Now, in a way, the thing about getting better too that that has a, an impersonal aspect to it is, for everything we've heard since, like okay, granted he rebelled and and went to become a Beatle, but Paul was always the scholar. You know, Paul was always the one that, like, you know, I used to get mad at my school. The teachers that taught me weren't cool. In a way, not to be funny, but it's almost, you could take this song and take some of the lyrics and be like, you know, you know, I used to get mad at my school. The teachers that taught me weren't cool. Like, it could be a Beach Boys friggin' song for the lyric, in a way. Except the part about beating his woman. I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her. Yeah, I don't think But I mean this, I mean, no. No, no, but I'm just saying. I know the the way it could be done, maybe. No, I'm joking, but I, I'm just saying the whole, I used but, to get mad know, at my school, and teachers that taught me weren't cool. It's a very, like... Simplistic lyric. Simplistic, think about, verging on lame kind of lyric. No, 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 no. No, no but, because then when but, you get into the song, that's why you Well, I needed, used to be cruel to my woman. I well, beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved. That's wow. so not Beach Boys. It's I, so not I, Beach Boys, but like you said, that's a John line. Yeah, but it's but you is know, it? But, oof. He said it was. He, he well, yeah, I know. But he also said that. I mean, John also did the whole. You know, couldn't get much worse. Right. The, the counter of right, you know, which, it's getting better. Oh no, it couldn't get much worse. And Paul used that as a. You know, well, we hope he doesn't never uses that again. In, in many interviews about every how John and interview. Paul worked, but you know what? That really does say a lot, though. That John is 
comes in, it can't get much worse. And right. It, and it fit the song perfectly. And I, that is something that Paul always needed in his writing. Yeah, Even absolutely. when he was writing good stuff, or he, I think he still does, but for Paul... Maybe he thinks it's not good stuff. But it's also very sarcastic. Couldn't get much worse. Yeah. Well, that's, to me, that John's sarcastic side. It's like, yeah, but absolutely. it's so fun. I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I remember, again, as a kid, the whole, like, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from things. When you're hearing that in 1970 in America, you're thinking, of like, like, to me, all I could think of was, like, James Cagney's smashing the actress in the face with the grapefruit right. or one of the old time actors smacking somebody around and it was it still had like movie aspects to me a lot of the songs on this album had like they were detached from the Beatles like you saw movies in your head that didn't necessarily involve the Beatles in them. But John has said that he you know, he wasn't the best husband in the of world. Of course, his, now, was his way of saying, yeah, you it, know, it, whether he hit Cynthia harder. I don't, you know, I don't, we don't no, know but the where real I'm, story of that. Where but. I'm going is, let's face it. You know, John talked about that in 1980, really. Right. You know, did we have any idea that it was even remotely possible that one of the mop tops was smacking somebody around? And I, I mean, you know, my God, you didn't. Yeah. So that's what I mean. It was kind of just like. I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from there. Can you imagine the kids of 1967 who had been following the Beatles up to that point hearing that lyric? But then again, he, then the man, I was mean, but I'm changing my, my scene. scene. Yeah. He admits he's got to change. Yes. You know? yeah. And it's getting better. Which is very 1967 Britain. The men are starting to become more sensitive. That's why that album, this album represents 1967 Britain. You you had well, you I had, wasn't there, so I'll, but I'm just I'll saying you. you I'm say saying there was there was saying. a sea change happening. There was a sea change happening everywhere. The macho thing was starting to get ripped apart. The macho thing of the '50s, the macho thing of the early '60s was starting to be brought down by '67. Well, and that's you, you know if you think about the Beatles and you know, their wives. Nancy Chevelle, New Yorker, Glenda Eastman, New Yorker, Yoko Ono, New Yorker via J- uh, Japan, Olivia Harrison, California, Barbara Bach out of Queens. Yeah. They're so. all New Yorkers. They're not British women. Good point. Good point. Because they'd all kick their asses if anybody, <laughs> you want to lay a finger on me, buddy? You're going down. <laughs> but, wow. but, but Paul also, you know, I laughed at the teachers who taught at my school. They kept throwing on bandits beside the swimming pool, which is from uh, Not Such a Bad Boy. So right. he, he goes back to the topic again. And right. Paul was very much a rebel. Yeah, and he does he, have he stories wasn't, he about, He wasn't a John you know, Lennon rebel. No. He did things differently. He, he said no a lot of times. <laughs> And he just would hold his ground. Right. Or, like you know, we saw with the band on the run reissue, Helen Wheels is now a bonus track, yeah, right. not part of the album. Right. And he, you know, he remembers that stuff. Oh yeah, stubborn bugger. You know. So let it be naked. It right. took him thirty years to get that. Oof. I want um, nothing naked. Nice. <laughs> All right. So we have getting better. We cut to fixing a hole. With its mono and stereo variations. I love the harpsichord. And opening with a harpsichord. Different for the Beatles. It's completely different for the Beatles. What's this? What's going on here? I I absolutely... When you first hear it, you just don't know where it's going to go. And by the way, getting better is is really the only true rock and roll song to this point on the album. Good point. Right, right. Fixing a hole... 
and even getting better to an extent, it's that idea that you always talk about, Mitch, that Beatles songs very often will open with a segment that doesn't show up anywhere else in the song. Yep. And Fixing a Hole opens with that whole chord progression that's nowhere else Never. in the song. Never. The song again. You know, Fixing a Hole with a Ring gets in. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say, do you put any credence in all the, all the drug reference crap? I no. don't in this no. one. I, I don't in any way, shape, or form and, and other than I'd love to turn you on. I think it's as you further get as you further get away in this song. No, No. on the album. In general, I think the further you get away from the album and its times, or the times when the album came out. Yeah, I think it it becomes less. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're in 1967 and you're tripping while listening to this, oh, cool, he's fixing a hole where the rain. Yeah, but uh, you know, his head must be off, man. No, they're talking about the BBC. Some of the people on the BBC were alluding that oh, fixing a hole was about being heroin junkie. Come on, really? And that's just overlooking, overstepping how you would uh, look at a record or or song. It's also it's also literalizing the damn thing. I mean, the hippies all knew what he meant. I'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in and whether. Whether it's his ego or it's right. something that's wrong or something that's a, I'm patching myself up. I'm fixing a hole where, you but know. Does Harrison play lead? Yeah. I've always thought it was Paul. That's what I always thought. It sounds like Paul. I know George does the screamer on Good Morning, Good Morning. I know that. Well, when Paul did it live, fixing a hole, did he, he only played the, he played the piano, right? Yeah. I, I love the lead on it. I do. I love the, I love yeah, the lead, I love the lead on guitar song. on this track, too. According to variations on what you'd read in Mark Lewison's book or how you read into Mark Lewison's book, it said that the bass and the lead guitar are played simultaneously. Therefore, that ripping, ripping, ripping solo is George. Yeah. So, you know what? George may have complained that he's not on the album a lot, but, you know, when, when he he's is. there, he makes his presence known. And he also played other instruments on, on stuff where he would have played guitar, you know, where Paul might have played lead. He was playing tambora a lot and other stuff. So he's there. I mean, maybe George just didn't think he was there because he didn't play the lead a lot. Right. Which is his typical instrument. But he definitely was there. You can hear him also on harmonies. So he's there. What do we think of the song overall? I mean, lyrically. I I like it a lot. Robert, I've always loved it. It's, uh, to me, um, one of the better... There's the sound of this album, and then the songs that yes. that, that rock, yes. or could have rocked if you if you yeah. would put them on Revolver or the White Album. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think it rocks. I think it rocks on this. I think it would have been a little bit harsher. Like I think I always thought the beginning of Getting Better or uh, would have been harsher if it was on Revolver. Yeah. Like they yeah. would have turned the um, the treble up louder, like they right. did on Andy right. Bird can sing or something. Uh, truthfully, I I've always loved the lyric of this song. I've, I, it's always been something where you can interpret in different ways or to varying degrees, but I've always found it to be a, one of my favorites on the album, I think, in a way. So we go from fixing a hole to one that we have we picked to death on one of our other shows, which is She's Leaving Home. A very sad song disguised as a love song. Yeah. Disguised as wow. a love song. Really sad. In terms of instrumentation. Song. Yes. All of a sudden you get this beautiful harp. That yeah. doesn't mean it's a love song. No, no, but that's, well, right. but it's starting to sound like that. Well, the, the love part is from the the parents talking about how the child is. Well, left it's not it. a love song, but I'm, what I'm saying is when you hear the but, instrumentation yeah, and it's all it's all like you know, you expect it to be a beautiful little well, we t- ditty, and it is, but it's yeah. it's very dark. We talk about it in the show that we did too that it's it's almost a classical little opening that is almost you know lullaby-ish in a way. 
and uh, we're not rocking her to sleep anymore. She's gone. And, yeah. And they don't you know. return to that either, though, again. again right. Again. Precisely that, that beautiful opening that is not returned to. Right. Did that mean that they went in the studio not knowing how the hell they were going to open stuff? Well, I, I and don't they, know. who knows? No know. drums and guitars on this, though. No, this is right. This is, uh, you know, John and, and Paul. Um, and, and you can see that where John writing his anti Mimi lines, basically the, yeah. the parents' response. You can yeah. tell that John was having fun the way, the way he was phrasing some of the, the way the parent was thinking about the child without thinking maybe what the child was thinking. Right. And right. I, I think he had, it, this is very much a John Paul song, which people forget about because they Absolutely. think, well, it's, yeah. it's Paul because yeah. he came up with the idea. John comes in with a lot of things. Oh, yeah. This. Yeah. And, you know, you can see why there's no drums or guitars on it. And I always wonder how it would have sounded if they made this more of a straight-ahead song. Is there, um, and I'm asking this because I really genuinely don't know and I haven't thought about it. Are there multiple time signatures going on here? It's all, no, no, not in this song. It's a, is it in 3-4? It's in 4-4. Four, four. Wednesday. That's in 3-4. It's in 3-4, yeah, I think Which it is. Which is usually something that Paul doesn't write in. Paul tends to write in 4-4. Four, four. John tends to write in, I need a 2-4 right here. And I, right. Which he did many right. times. Right. And also this song... George Martin did not do the orchestration for the yes, only one he's never yeah. done, and he he uh, I, I think he carried that chip uh, on uh, his forever. George Martin sized shoulders forever and ever and ever. A guy named Mike Leander did it, yeah, and that's because Leander. I think that's how you say his name, Leander, L E A N D E R. But is it Leander or Leander? Either way, one thing that is, is interesting about this: a couple of years ago, this song, the backing track, came out. And I guess that's what Mike had written. And you could see where George Martin made edits. Um, oh, wow. Sort of, it, it sort of went off a little bit. And you could see where George Martin sort of brought the song back. So George did have a little bit of a say. Interesting. In, in the final in the final execution. Say. But it, it would be interesting to see how George Martin would have done this. And considering the fact that he did an arrangement for While My Guitar Gently Weeps, the demo, why did he not try somewhere along the line whether it was in the 2000s or 1999 or whatever, because just just to do it to make himself to oh, do make his own version of yes. she's leaving home. You know? okay, well. That's really because, funny, actually. Because you know, all you have to do is take John and Paul's vocals. There's nothing else to worry about, and you know, just so he could relax in his lifetime, the way Paul relaxed after Let It Be Naked. And just in the middle of it, he just just to with the puts in like a slide whistle. <laughs> she. <laughs> What did we do that was wrong? We didn't know it was. Well, that's you know. Paul's head just go. You say that, but that's how good. That's supposed to be a good or bad arrangement. Of course, yeah. Where where you follow the music and the and the storyline. The storyline. So, by the way, trivia question: When George Martin was unavailable to do the orchestration, who was he working with? That night. Shirley Bassey. No. No, I have no idea. Cilla Block. Wow. Now, why, why couldn't they, could they just call him over? Come on, uh, George, we need you for like a couple of hours. Cilla, don't worry about you. He was stepping into love. <laughs> nice. He was step, step inside love. <laughs> step inside love. As he was so, all right. But Got a she's leaving home. You. The stereo version is slow. 
yes. really slow. And I think the mono yes. is the proper speed. They've always said it was sped up. I think it actually is the proper speed. I don't know about that. And, and that's the opposite. I really dislike the stereo version of She's Leaving Home. I love the mono version of She's Leaving Home. because the fast it, version? Yeah, I do. I think it sounds better. It's about a 10-second difference by the time you add it all up. But, wow. And, is it really yeah, that much? Yeah. And to me, it just sounds better... F- She's leaving. I mean, just there's a slowness in well, the story that really drags the whole damn song. I think the other one is sped up. It might be, but it it sounds better no matter what. I do agree. I think the mono is a little bit more natural with Paul, but I'd be curious to hear it held to a pitchfork to see whether or not both of them are not true speed. Yeah. You know, it's very possible that they sped up the mono one a little bit, and they slowed down the stereo one a bit. It could be. You know, you think about Across the Universe, they, Spectre slowed it down, George Martin sped it up. So it wouldn't be the first time. Right. I mean, right. One source here that I'm reading is saying that the mono version was the master sped up. Okay. I have no doubt that it was probably sped up a little bit, you know, but at the same time, to me, it sounds nat- more natural in the sped-up way than the slow-down way. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. So we go from She's Leaving Home to being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. There will be a show tonight on trampoline. You know, John sees a poster. Was was it the Strawberry Fields or the yes, Penny Lane? Strawberry, strawberry Fields. Field. On the day strawberry fields. they were oh, filming the Strawberry Fields, he goes into an antique shop and gets this poster. For so. Pablo Fancas Fair, you can find it on the internet, folks, yeah, the it's, copy it's, of the it's, original I mean, John borrows almost everything from it. I mean, it's like, wow. Literally, just work. <laughs> but the fact that he turned it into a song and an, an enjoyable one, I think it's, it's an incredible. enjoyable, fun little ditty. That's all it is. But it's cute. It, no, but I'm not saying it's bad. But, right. But I'm not going to analyze this. It's an enjoyable, fun little ditty. And enough with the Henry the Horse having anything to do with heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, it's actually God. there. It says Henry the Horse, I think. Yeah, it does in the poster. Xanthus. Yeah, it, it's, you know, come on with the Henry the Horse. It's not about smack. So, of course, we know smack. the story about them throwing the tape up in the air. Essentially, I mean, do you want to go into who wants to tackle that aspect of things? Do we need um, to? Well, no. It's, well, John I, said he wanted to see, uh, feel the sawdust of the, you know, the, of the circus. circus. So they took uh, sound effects and they threw them in the air and then they put it back together and it sounded basically the same. Right. <laughs> they, had to, right. they had to go back and right. do it again. Do it again. So, throw them in the air again. And right. uh, to me, you don't notice the backing track, the craziness of the backing track as much. I think because the, the way the piano, the organ is. Yeah. yeah, the organ is actually. Pipe yeah. organ, whatever that is. Yeah. 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 So and, I agree. I just, and and mean, also the story that George Martin liked to tell is that he'd played the pipe organ and he had to pump it as he was playing. Right. And literally he was sprawled out on the floor afterwards because he, he, you know, he was the only one pumping the, the organ. Hey, well, yeah, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase <laughs> that. But you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Yeah, you so, can't say that. <laughs> you know what I mean. So he was, you know, doing Sometimes that. Sometimes it ties you out if yeah, you don't yeah. want bumping your own. So uh, he, he, was, he was doing that. And, you know, good, you know, good for him. <laughs> so. <laughs> Good for him, pumping the organ. Good on you, George. I love the way you pump love my organ. Love the way organ. you pump that organ. Yep. Um, wow. 
We just made this fun little ditty into a dirty dirty, song. Dirty, dirty, dirty song. Dirty song. Just from laughing at the wrong spot. We were laughing at the right spot. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how side one ends. And that is the end of side one. Thank God. And uh, that is a, a logical, but we've ended side one. We're closing part two of uh, Fab Four Free For All, a.k.a. Mugblechit, and our conversation for all, and our conversation about the legendary Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. We're wrapping up uh, side one. We'll continue next week with side two and the album cover, and uh, as Rob said uh, in the last episode, and the history of what happened after Sgt. the reappraisal. The reappraisal, as it were. Is it it the greatest Beatles album ever? I don't know. Is it the greatest album ever? Is it any better than Merch Blackett? I don't know. No, is it? I don't know. Well, we'll that's, find that's out what question. everybody thinks. I still think the Chipmunks do the Beatles better. Well, the Chipmunks do Pepper. That was an outtake. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of hard to do She's we Leaving Home because it, it was done. <laughs> <laughs> She's Leaving Home, the stereo version, is the is Chipmunks. the Chipmunks. <laughs> but the slowed right. down version. On that note, this is it for Fab Four Free For All. I'm Tony Chiguardo. I'm Mitch Axelrod. And I'm Rob Leonard. We should all be different people, by the way, because of Sergeant Pepper. Oh, yeah, that's right. So who can you be? That's right. No. I'm, Seriously, I'm, who will you I'm be? I'm still Rob Leonard. Uh, no, you can't. Uh, then fine. Be Rob Leonard. Who do you want to be? I'm Stanislava Mallorca. <laughs> isn't that what? A, isn't that a female Stanislava Mallorca? I'm Bjorn Borg. <laughs> <laughs> I cause quite a racket. <laughs> oh. Oh. On that note, it's too late. Bye, folks. Bye. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All. No, you are wrong, Jack. No, you are wrong. You. No, I'm on. No. What is that now? Mm. Doritos. No, there's a healthy potato. Sweet potato. Oh. I'll have one. You can put it on the thing here, and I'll lift it over to me here. Sweet potato, two potato, three potato, four. Okay. I smoke lots of ganja, and I want to smoke some more. La la la, cha la la la. Everybody's a prick right now. Okay, Jerry Lewis, calm down. It's 11 o'clock, everybody's a prick. All right, ready? I'm not Buddy Rich. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know that show, right? No, I don't. Guy, guy, guy trumpeter, he's got to go to rehearsal. Make it a quick for one, buddy, though. For Buddy Rich. So he picks the phone and he's just making sure to confirm the time because you know Buddy Rich. Buddy Rich was a prank. I know him. So he calls up, <laughs> and he gets the answering service. He says, um, "He says hi. He says, uh, I'm calling him. I'm one of the musicians in Buddy Rich's band. He says, can you tell me what time rehearsal is today? He says, uh, I'm really sorry to tell you, sir, but um, but Buddy Rich is, has died. He says, wow. Okay, thank you. So, you know, a few minutes later, the we're Receptionist, the answer is perfect. It's another call. Picks the call. You know, hi, I'm one of the musicians in Buddy Rich's band. Can you tell me what time rehearsal is today? She says, well, I don't want to inform you of this, but Buddy 
Buddy Rich has passed away. Really? Wow. And a few minutes later, phone rings again. Picks the phone. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm in Buddy Rich's band. Can you tell me what time rehearsal is today? So I'm, just, um, I'm sorry to tell you, sir, but Buddy Rich is dead. But haven't you already called a couple of times? He says, yeah, I just love hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's like uh, Harry Khan uh, for Columbia Pictures. When he died, they yeah. lied around the block. <laughs> and it wasn't there to celebrate his life, so make sure, sure he was dead. dead. It was actually, I think, Georgie Jessel, or one of those guys who actually used that line. He says, wow, I didn't know he was so well-loved. He says, no, we're all just here to make sure he's really dead. Anyway. All right, okay, ready? Let's start our show.